doing again? Um, would it be weird if you saw yourself on TV? Oh, you, yeah. Have you ever seen a doppelganger? I mean, I mean, somewhere between young Elvis Presley and Adam Scott is Dalton Stewart. That's, thank right, you. Right, right. Um, yeah. Who do you get? I, I actually get young Elvis also quite a bit. Really? Yeah, I used to. I don't get okay. it as much anymore. Now that you're older. Now that I'm older. You're older, but you're not fat, so you can't be old yeah, Elvis. Yeah, I can't be old Elvis. I had those ridiculous sideburns for a little bit, and that yeah. helped me get young Elvis. I remember seeing a picture. I can't remember what picture of it was of you, but then I saw a picture of a young Elvis with those sideburns. Like, I remember Dalton. you sending me this photo, Dalton? actually. Dalton. Yeah. <laughs> what is uh, happening here? It would be very weird. I'll tell you what else is weird. 2013, big year for Denis Villeneuve. Tell right. you, that. yeah, we talked prisoners. This right, this guy comes out them. of French Canada and just goes to work. Just yeah, two does a puts two on I mean, gets two on base hits in one year. I Come mean, on, God, with 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 Jake the Jake Gyllenhaal, like two Jakes, Jake's Jake's Gyllenhaal. the Gyllenhaal's the three times of Jake. Yeah, yeah. three three um, three servings of Jake Gyllenhaal in two movies. Yeah, what a year! I mean, he Good does Incendies, he does Polytechnics, he does like. 10 other things or something while he's in French Canada? Yeah, he's got a, what, six movies? Yeah, I think? he's got a pretty good career up there. Yeah. He starts in the 90s, I think. Yeah, he's, Polytechnic's the one that like, I'm most familiar with. But yeah. I know there's like other, other couple that are like pretty well yeah. received as, as well. And then he just walks over here, crosses the border, and is like, hey, I'm going to be the new uh, best director and in the Enemy world. Enemy barely counts. Enemy's still a Canadian movie. Yeah, just it's, in, it's yeah, very low budget, just very English small. Language. I mean, there's a cast of, what, four people? Yeah. Right. And the yellow letters. I guess three, technically, because. Gyllenhaal's two of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, and then a couple extras, but I mean, it's a very, very small scale, small sets, a couple of apartments. Yeah, not a lot school, of interiors. A hotel. Yeah, it's real yeah. small. But it's, it's so, yeah, I mean, and it is the film that like gets him prisoners, so it's kind of weird that like they end up getting together. released so close together. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think... Did Enemy have like a 20 fit, 2012 festival release? I'm imagining, I think it yeah. Did. They probably shopped it around, floated it. Checks it. out. Yeah. But anyway, just a huge year. We did talk Prisoners on this yes. show. I didn't make that yes. up, right? Okay. We did. I know we've talked about it. I think that's it. it. I don't yeah, think we've think, done anything uh, else than you. Yeah, I think that's all we've done. We didn't from do Blade him. Runner. We haven't done yeah, we haven't Sicario. Done we haven't done Arrival. Sicario is like the most likely for us to do, I feel like. Right, that's like kind of the most on our level. Yeah, the most genre, hey, probably, maybe or I will. I mean, Blade Runner, I think we could get away totally with. a sci-fi blockbuster. That's yeah, true. I mean, and we could get away that with that franchise them, on a whole is probably going to get into a syllabus. But I mean, well, that twenty forty nine by itself, Dune is even. I mean, it's just a sci-fi movie too. Yeah. Well, unless you're getting cracking open Dune as a cultural text, in which case, yeah, it's like. Yeah. But then you'd be in a class about Frank Herbert's Dune, Dune. not right. Denis Villeneuve's Dune, which yeah, which totally sounds like different. a graduate level class anyway. I mean, I mean yeah, you got, yeah, dude. Uh, I've I've heard it. I heard it said recently uh, in an article about Dune that uh, I think he was an Egyptian person. Anyway, somebody who has a background in Islam like read Dune and called it a religious commentary. <laughs> Which I just think is yeah. really interesting. They're like, yeah, this isn't even really a sci-fi book. Mm. Yeah, uh, which I think makes sense for Denis that that is the sci-fi work he's so obsessed with because his movies are very much kind of locked in into the interpersonal, right? Yeah. So it does make sense that he would be attracted to a sci-fi work that is like so steeped in religious commentary. Yeah, deeply inter- interrogative, inter- interrogative, interrogative, yeah. interrogative. Yeah, baby. Correct. That's a word. I don't know. If I got four weeks, baby. I'm, I'm <laughs> holding on by a thread. Yeah, a little little peek behind the curtain. We've been we've been off. We're 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 a little cold today, but uh, hopefully, and the semester's winding down for Arthur and I. So our brains are totally melted. Mush. At this Total point mush. In the game. My my brain's usually mush. So we know. You know. 
We know. Yeah, exactly. We're just all on the same page. <laughs> Why are we here? Hello, everybody. Welcome again to the Good Trash Autocast. We gather around a table. We discuss the films you'll never discuss, a film today's course. This week's That's film... That's why we're here. Okay. <laughs> I remember now. Is Even Denis when I'm out of school, I can't escape school. It's weird. Enemy. Enema. Enemy. 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 Enema of the state. With friends like this, Ooh. who needs spider enemas? Uh, <laughs> Jesus. Gosh. God, that's a terrible, terrible Wildly apt. Wildly apt, yeah, but awful. <laughs> this book is full of spiders. Um, that Marvel movie is completely different. <laughs> spider enema. Yeah. Oh, no. Very different. Uh, in case you're tuning in for the very first time. The we'll... Sinister Six are diarrhea upsets. Heartburn, <laughs> <laughs> indigestion. Yeah. Oh, before I say you're tuning in for the first time, um, I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. I'm still Dalton. And we are so glad that you're tuning in with us. Uh, if you're tuning in for the first time, however, uh, this is an analysis show, not a review show. And that, therefore, means there will be spoilers. In fact, there may have already been spoilers. Uh, though, no... Uh, unless you know, you know. Well, spiders are in the opening scene. That's yeah, true. Yeah. This is, this yeah. Then unless you know, you know. How about that? If you know, you know. Uh, if you know, you know. This is an experiential film more than it is a plot-driven film. Correct, Amundo. Some thirteen-year-old's going to stumble across this on prime cable and have and a weird kink. It's going to awaken something. The man. wildest geek. This and this is what we've lost with the loss of cable television. Is yeah, just thirteen-year-olds stumbling Unlocking across wild kinks. Yeah, yeah right after eleven weird, o'clock on Cinemax. Yeah, yeah. lucky weird parts uh, of their There brain. was a. Uh, we didn't talk about this. I don't know if I told you. Uh, I went to see X a few weeks ago. Tyler oh, yeah. X. Uh, behind me, there was a child who couldn't have been more than 10 uh, with his father. So big Dalton vibes there. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Um, who's probably going to have some weird, weird podcast. Uh, Mia Goth, elderly women. <laughs> yeah. Podcasts. That's <laughs> done a lot to that poor child. I don't I, even know the range of I, feeling that may have went through that mind. I saw some children get brought into everything everywhere all at once this weekend. And uh, I bet that was a great time for them. I don't. That's what you want. You do. You want to stumble across a Northman or a, or everything or everywhere all at once. You X. probably don't want to stumble into X. Maybe not. Yeah. There is a pretty great uh, butt plug gag in Everything Everywhere All at Once that uh, I, I, I'm very curious if there was any explaining done in the car on the way home. Well, back to my discussion of spoilers. We will try to avoid them for the first part of the show. You've got to wrangle some cats today, buddy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Arthur and I want to talk about other movies we've seen. Uh, clearly. <laughs> More recently. Uh, we will probably spoil some of those other movies, but not until about a third of the way in. This is what it looks like. We do a synopsis, spoiler-free. We do our thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews, as gentle as spoilerific things can be in a review. Then we move on to expanding the syllabus, which might involve the spoilers of other movies, which apparently is all we're going to talk about today. And then we get down to business and do analysis and not talk about enemy and talk about other things and spoil them as well. I don't know. Maybe we'll spoil enemy. We'll see what happens. We'll spoil enemy. We'll, we'll get to I'm, it. I'm pretty sure we will. So, there you go, dear friends. You have been warned. Arthur, delight us with your synopsis, please. When an unmotivated, uninspired college professor discovers a struggling actor who looks just like him, he attempts to set up a meeting. In doing so, he gets caught in a web of mistaken identity, <laughs> desire, <laughs> and danger. That's exactly what happens. It is. Now, are you laughing because as an uninspired college professor, you think about this all the time? <laughs> Let's start with you. Uh, <laughs> you got the most time in education yeah. well, and academia. Uh, so I, I believe I am the only repeat viewer here. That's true. With the enemy. True. Uh, I, I'm a first timer. So yeah, well, Mr. Enemy Virgin, uh, tell us, what did you think of Denis News Enemy? Wow, it's really yellow. Um, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, 
Um, I mean, that, that, I mean, obviously that's the first thing that's going on. But I love the sort of golds and blacks that um, he chooses for the palette there, which does give the movie a, a really kind of specific kind of tone and a, a sickly uh, sort of tone, um, giving this idea of just uh, just pestilence. Um, and I think that's that's wise. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal in both roles is brilliant. Um, I guess I can give this much away. He is both Anthony and Adam. Um, I think that's not a spoiler. Yeah, uh, because it's, it's in the synopsis. It's a doppelganger movie. It's a yeah doppelganger. Yeah, it's that. Uh, so I was gonna make a doppel- I was gonna make a doppelganger joke, and I'm like, I can't really make that sound like something else. So no, it's it's it is sort of a word unto itself. My brain started trying to make a joke that was incapable of making, but nonetheless, uh, it, it works. Everything about it works. Direction is brilliant. Again, uh, we talked about just sort of like the camera style with cinematography and the use of that yellow filter. Uh, Hall is great. Give me some more Isabella Rossellini, please, in movies. I just need lots and lots and lots and lots of Isabella Rossellini, who's looking so much like her mom these days. And um, I miss her. So uh, there's a lot of classical Hollywood love there for me. Uh, just Inger Bergman in general. Um, Roberto Rossellini is fine, but I-, I only love her for her mom. Roberto's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Uh, but he yeah. He chose favorites. I do, I do play favorites uh, in that couple. My favorite is mom, not dad. Uh, that being said, the movie absolutely works. It, it works on a pull-you-in kind of hook level. It keeps you there the whole time. It surprises you throughout and shocks the jabbers out of you in the end um what more do you want from a psychological thriller so i I don't want to say much more than that because i again i do think the movie is an experience and i as dalton says i don't know that knowing the plot makes a difference but it is fun not to know so i'm going to just say that much i like it a bunch i go to you dalton what do you say uh the yellow stood out for you uh the woodwind score stood out for Mm, me mm -hmm. it's sort of just kind of I know haunting's the wrong word because it's not haunting, but it is sort of like unsettling. Un- yeah, there you go. Displacing. Yeah. yeah, unsettling is definitely probably it. It's uh, unnerving. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. It just kind of is there and uh, just bothers you. <laughs> it's it's like living next door to Squidward. You just it's it's no good. You don't want that soundtrack following you around. That sets a terrible tone for your life. And there's terrible lives and terrible people in this movie. Uh, that that is. There is an answer to this movie, right? Denis Villeneuve has not been that quiet. I saw a Montreal Gazette interview with him where he's like, this is what the movie is about to me. And so it's boom. There is there is a, a solved equation. The answers you seek are out there. There's, I did some research today. There are tons of Enemy Explained videos out there, unsurprisingly. As we've already alluded to, though, this movie's kind of a vibe. And it can mean whatever you want it to mean. And I think that's the beauty of something this this sort of surreal, this sort of not necessarily linear, uh, something that kind of works its way around the plot sort of circuitously and has these weird little cycles that carry out throughout the film. Um, that That is the ticket you're buying, right? That's that's the ticket you're buying a ride for. And I, I think that that works more or less. Um, if you can get on board with that kind of movie. If you can't, then yeah, this is probably not for you, and that's okay. Um, it wasn't necessarily for me while I was watching it, but I was simultaneously going, different mood? I'm really into this movie. And that that's sort of where I came down. I liked it well enough. Uh, I just don't think that I was quite in the mood for what Enemy is, which is surprising. I like Denis Villeneuve a lot. Uh, I mean, we kind of bantered back and forth about which of his movies are, quote-unquote, 
bad enough to be on this this show or, or genre enough to be considered something you wouldn't discuss in film studies course because he is he makes dense other than uh, his his French language work. I've seen all of his movies and they are usually dense texts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Enemy is definitely in that camp, but it is I, definitely its own thing. I feel like compared to his other English language work, uh, which I like. I do like that it, it sort of sets up sits apart from those other movies as far as being more experiential than it is plot driven. Although all of, all of his movies definitely communicate tone very effectively. I I think this communicates tone as effectively as it communicates, uh, that it's, it's about being perplexed a little bit. It it is a a movie designed to kind of, uh, be provocative to mess with the audience a little bit, Mm -hmm. right? It's, it's a movie that wants to pick on you and that can be annoying. It can also be really good, sort of like I said. It, it does depend on what mood you're in. Uh, for me, it works more often than it doesn't. I, I just wasn't quite lined up for it. I, I do look forward to a second viewing, though, because I'm curious how I would feel, because uh, there's a lot to like. Uh, Arthur, this is watch two for you, you say. Uh, how, how did it go down? I'd say I may have cooled just a little bit, kind of in the after stages. I still think... Uh... It's a solid. I mean, I think it's just rock solid uh, for a number of reasons, but I, I do think I've cooled maybe just a hair on it. Um, mostly in the kind of, you know, I don't think about it as much as I did the first time I saw it, obviously, because I've kind of already, I think, processed a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And so I think some of that kind of wonder has worn in a, in a rewatch. But I, I tell you what, I mean, I, I think Hall's one of the great actors working right now, American sure. um, men actors, at least. And the uh, this movie, I think, is, is just a prime example. If if someone was like, "Is is John Hall a good actor?" I'd be like, "Watch Enemy," because the the way he quickly and easily and so smoothly transforms between Adam and this other character, Anthony, with just kind of a, a brief switch in posture, a facial expression, the the confidence, the arrogance of Anthony, the the lack of composure, the uncertainty, the the self-doubt of Adam, the, the way he just manifests that physically, I think is a strong testament to just how good he is at crafting character. Yeah, you're you're nailing it, Arthur. Yeah. Because you could point to prisoners, and that's that's almost a performance. That I, I wouldn't blame anybody for calling that a bad performance. It's yeah. showy, right? He, he, he gets mad and yeah. breaks a keyboard. He, yeah. has, he has twitches. I like it. But but this I think is kind of undeniable work, and yeah. I, I think you've really articulated what works so well about yeah. it. And, and so for that reason, I think it's really good. I, I think I love this just taut. I mean, it's about tight ninety. Keep it simple, like I've you know already mentioned up top. It's it's small sets, small cast, and it really is about that kind of psychological suspense hook. Uh, it feels very Hitchcockian in many ways. I think uh, the way it's shot, the way it looks, I, I think it's just really cool because you can tell it is more low budget, um, but. Also, to know where Villeneuve's going to go next is, I think, kind of sets it in an interesting place. And I haven't caught up with that earlier work in Canada. Uh, I, I've heard great things about Polytechnics, and I think Incendies is the other big one he's done. Um, but as far as you know, English language, I, I think this is just kind of a, a strong English language debut for him. And uh, it looks cool. Just some weird light puzzle box stuff because you. The first time you watch it, you I think do have that like what was that moment, of, especially with that final shot, mm-hmm. um, which really is is the kind of talking point for this movie. But I, I think it's solid. I, I really dig it. 
Uh, the news one of those guys who I've slowly kind of came around on. The more I, I watch his stuff repeatedly, the more I really appreciate how talented the guy is because he's a skilled craftsman uh, who can do, it feels like it all, uh, kind of a range as far as genre, budget, style, small scale, epic scale. Tone. The guy can run the gamut. Yeah. Tone, yeah. I mean, even within science fiction, he's done three sci-fi films and none drastically of them. Drastically different. Drastically different, yeah. Noir, the, the really kind of melodramatic, heartfelt, uh, meditative yeah. arrival and then Dune. Yeah. And Dune's so, all about them space daddies and desert power. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, I'm excited to see what he does next because I think, you know, other than a Dune, uh, you know, it's, it's he's one of those guys that just is always interesting to go see what he's going to put out. Absolutely. And so uh, I, I think Enemy's solid, uh, if nothing else, just to kind of see that American start point and then just to see a really great Hall performance. But that's where I'm at, and that's where we are. All right. Well, very good, very good. Thank you very much for that, gentlemen. Let's move on to the next part of our show, which we like to call Expanding the Syllabus. Dalton, can you explain what that's all about? I can. This is the part where we start to get a little spoilery, and we do start to talk about what things are about. How are we going to do that? Well, this is the part where we deliver on the promise of the show. We talk about the films you would never discuss in a film studies course in a film studies course type milieu. Uh, we're going to talk about this movie, Enemy, and we're going to talk about how you would teach it, what texts uh, or uh, other you know supplements you would bring to it uh, and pair with it to, to kind of crack this open, however you want to, whether it's a film studies class or... Um, you know, a, a more social sciences type class. Um, you know, we, we, we try to keep it broad as far as what we, we do. Uh, we get kind of weird with the, cl- the classes we choose to do. Look, what I'm saying is we build classes that no university would ever sign off on sometimes, and that's part of the fun of this thought experiment. But that's what we're here to do. All right. Thank you very much for that, Dalton. Well, Arthur, what is your syllabus looking like? Uh, so I already alluded to uh, the, the thing I, I appreciate about this movie, and that is the Hitchcockian style attributed to it. And so I'm going to look at the modern Hitchcocks. Uh, These are movies and directors who have either aped or done something inspired heavily by Alfred Hitchcock, uh, arguably the most influential director of all time outside of a couple of other names, maybe. You can probably say the most and be pretty confident with that. Yeah. So uh, that's what I would look at. Uh, Just a a director who obviously we probably don't really need to mention his, uh, you know, accolades and reputation here because if you're listening to a movie podcast you probably know alfred hitchcock he's made some movies yeah he made a couple they're pretty um, good you may have heard of a few uh so i would take a look at the modern hitchcock so i think i'm gonna start with john carpenter i think what hitch does uh kind of set up this trick play of psycho and really kickstarts a, a move towards a new subgenre in horror i think john carpenter kind of come along and and picks up that ball with halloween not only fulfilling the idea of the you were going to say big trouble in little China. I'm surprised. Uh, <laughs> maybe, uh, but I think with Halloween, uh, just twofold factor here. One, he does kind of pick up on that voyeurism of Psycho mm-hmm. in uh, Young Mike Myers there at the beginning, and even some of the stuff that takes place as Myers is stalking or the figure is stalking Haddonfield, um, but also along with uh, just the casting of Jamie Lee uh, as well, and kind of that homage to Janet in Psycho. Uh, so I just kickstart with Carpenter. Obviously, uh, if we're going to talk about modern Hitchcocks, you got to talk about Brian De Palma. Yeah, that's um, sort of his whole deal. And I could really just reach into his filmography and pull out any title. Uh, but specifically, I'm going to go with Mission Impossible. Interesting. Uh, I think most uh, people go for... Um, you could do Dress to Kill. You could do Sisters. You could do Carrie, probably. 
Um, but for me, Mission Impossible is fun because I think it taps into two things that Hitch was great at. One, it's the wrong man mm-hmm. narrative at play with Ethan Hunt on the run from MIA or, you know, whatever they're called, IMA. IMF. IMF. I don't know why I know that. <laughs> International Monetary Fund? Yes. Uh, and uh, it's the type of movie Hitch would have made, right? It's this big, grandiose, I mean, it's North by Northwest. It is this long, sweeping, man-on-the-run action film, which is very much in Hitchcock's wheelhouse. And it feels in many senses and regards as if Hitch is directing that movie. It, it feels like De Palma's definitely tapped into that, which he's done a number of times, but to do it in an action movie, a big budget it feels like if Hitch was directing in 95, Mission Impossible is definitely a movie he could have done and done well. So that's where I'd like to go. Uh, for there, we're going to jump into Danny DeVito. We're going to talk about Throw Mama from the Train. Uh, we got to yes. talk about Strangers on a Train. we got to mm-hmm. talk about exchanging murder numbers. Um, you kill mine, I'll kill yours. Crisscross. Yeah. Um, crisscross applesauce, baby. Uh, I, I, You know, it's a goofy comedy, but it definitely taps into that dark humor that... Uh, uh, the Trouble with Harry, I think, types into and some of uh, Hitch's other kind of dark comedies, uh, as well as just dealing with those themes of murder and mystery uh, that uh, so fascinated Hitchcock. Um, Got to go with Bobby Zemeckis next. Mm. Um, we're going to talk about What Lies Beneath. Oh, um, yeah. Here, nice. Which has a little bit of that rear window in it and a few other things. Uh, but it, it's just Michelle Pfeiffer and Harrison Ford having a blast in a movie where Zemeckis is definitely uh, channeling Hitch and the way he's building shots, the way he's navigating that narrative, uh, revealing information. It definitely feels like he is he's harboring a spirit there from uh, the days of past. Just on a break. Just on a break from Castaway. No big deal. Going to crap out a Hitchcock homage that everybody's going to go bananas for. That movie did well. Yeah. yeah on a, on a like break movies... Well. Where directors like, yeah, I think we're just gonna go shoot this thing real quick. Yeah. One of my favorite little things is because I talk about it a lot, but it's uh, the most dangerous game, mm-hmm. uh, which was filmed on the same sets with the same cast of King Kong. They're like, oh, I guess we have some time. Let's go shoot, do another movie. While I got a it. script here. Let's yeah. just do a thing. And a part of it is obviously an economical design. I mean, sure, we've got the sets, we got the people. Let's do it. But it's just cool, and I, I think for two products to come out well in the same span of time with that kind of pressure is also super impressive, you know? So, uh, but yeah, Bobby Z is, uh, is the next one. Uh, from there, obviously we got to talk about Guillermo del Toro. Um, and we'd also talk about Park Chan Wook. And we're also going to talk about Christian Petzold, um, because Hitch's, uh, Hitch's influence is international, uh, and has inspired internationally. And so we would look at Crimson Peak, which very much has those Rebecca vibes and that Gothic vibe. Uh, down. Uh, similarly, we would look at Stoker with Mia mm-hmm. Wachowska, uh, at all Nicole Kidman, I believe, and I can't remember who else is in there. What's his doodle? Uh, handsome, from Watchmen. handsome face. Yeah. From what? From Watchmen. He he plays Ozzy Mandias and and the oh, Zack Snyder Watchmen. I don't remember. Matthew um, Good. There, there we go. it is. I still got it, baby. I still think it's handsome. Obviously, the handsome uh, face. Stoker is a play on See, Dracula. You, nope. Oh, oh, on uh, on uh, Uncle Charlie. Sh- yeah, Shadow of a Doubt. Shadow of a Doubt. There we go. Uh, it was a modernized version of that, and there's a little bit of dark intrigue of is this person a murderer? Are they going to kill? Maybe a little incestuous. Um, kind of playing again with some of those gothic themes. Uh, and then we got to talk about Christian Petzold's Phoenix from Germany, which is very much his Vertigo movie, uh, which deals with restructuring another person's identity in that kind of direction. Uh, which lines up with that kind of meta commentary and critique uh, that is often given to Vertigo of the director and the actress and the Hitchcock blonde. Um, and then finally, uh, the last two are a couple of, uh, you may have heard of these guys. Uh, one's Martin Scorsese, 
Uh, and we're talking about Hugo specifically because there's some shots in that film that feel very Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. Just the way we move through that train station, the way it's shot, some pans that go through wall. That panning through the wall thing is a very Hitchcock type move. Um, very rope. Yeah. Also, got you know every every show, uh, TV show, and music video has also at one point used the. Uh, uh, push in, pull out uh, camera trick as well that Hitch uses uh, to great effect in Psycho and other movies. Um, finally, though, I want to end on Steven Soderbergh's Kimmy uh, from 2022. Yeah, this modern take on the rear window, but in a tech world post um, pandemic as well, uh, kind of factoring all of that in. Soderbergh's kind of trying his hand at this heightened thriller. Uh, kind of taking place in a small room. Can our protagonists get out? Can they conquer their fears? Uh, their their kind of moments of disability and be able to succeed. Will people listen to them? Do they have help? Um, and obviously, kind of being compared mostly to Rear Window, um, this is kind of brings that into the conversation. It's the most recent. It's a good movie. So yeah, I mean, I'm spanning forty, fifty years. Fifty years. And just really looking at that impact and influence of Hitchcock in a post-Hitchcock world. Very cool, very cool. I would be excited to take that course. Thank you, You Arthur. should be. Uh, I should be, because I am. No, I mean, I, did you enroll me? Yeah. Okay. You didn't check your... Are you my advisor now? Yeah, you didn't check your portal? I need to... No, I don't want to check my portal. Hey, Dalton. What's yeah. your syllabus? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we Well, your, your bud Hitch is going to make an appearance on my syllabus, uh, because we're going to be talking about doubles and alternate lives, uh, looking about at doppelganger films, but also at films where we're, we're seeing maybe the same character undergo multiple... Uh, lives or multiple scenarios or multiple paths um so we'd of course look at vertigo very very famously working in that uh that double milieu um but uh other other notables uh, there's a ton of doubles movies by the way of all different stripes and different uh, permutations uh but i just went ahead and snagged up a couple that i think would be really worth talking about just because they, they they lend themselves to close readings uh vertigo of course uh, but then we'd look at david lynch's mulholland drive uh the the prestige all about doubles and, mm. and double lives good stuff yeah uh we would look at adaptation charlie kaufman movie uh which i think is really good <gasps> yeah and it does the double thing very interestingly yeah uh we would look at uh christoph kieslowski's blind chance uh which is the inspiration for woody allen's sliding doors mm. Uh, we look at both of those movies, both, you know, how, how does the train you catch or didn't catch change your life? I think a very, very fun mm-hmm. premise for a movie. Uh, we would look at Coherence, a film all about meeting your doubles and the kind of uh, strangeness that that could lend or the danger that that could lend if you know your worst impulses might be lurking out there waiting for you. I like Coherence a lot. Really tiny movie. Micro budget from uh, a couple of years before. I think like 2011, 2012. I was going to say it's 2012 or it's 2013. It's like 10 years yeah. old at this point. Yeah. Uh, but I really like that movie a lot. Um, and then uh, the, the very recent and already mentioned on this episode, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Uh, kind of tonally the most set apart from these other movies, I feel like. Uh, but definitely still playing with these ideas of who, who are you and what are the choices that define you and, and how, how does the the... the compounding differences uh, of different choices. Like, how, how does that all add up? How, how different of a person can you be? And I think that's all of these films are playing with some idea of how well do you know yourself and what if somebody else was in the driver's seat besides you? 
Um, and I, I think those are really interesting ideas to play with. Uh, again, you know, Arthur, you talked about sort of the suspense element that, that Hitchcock brings. I think with Vertigo, obviously that that's a huge factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and suspense is really in the DNA of a lot of these movies that we've we've picked. Obviously, not all of them, but Mulholland and The Prestige are both really working in that that suspense terrain. But the I, I, I thing I like about something like adaptation uh, is it's you know it's 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 everything. <laughs> that is all kinds yeah. of movie, and it is using this idea of what if you had to live with yourself, and what if the version of you that you were living with was just having an easier go of life than you were, uh, which I, I think is a really fun idea. Uh, th- that's the class, though. Uh, looking at these these sorts of different permutations of the doppelganger story uh, and the I, I I tried to split it. I, I debated doing just doppelgangers or just alternate lives, uh, but I decided to to bring them together because it feels like a lot of doppelganger movies are are, are playing with that idea, uh, the same idea that these sort of alternate lives movies are dealing with. Um, Dustin. What about you? How would you look at Enemy? Uh, what, what are some things you would pair with it? I, I don't know that I would teach it as a module or even sort of build a course around it. It feels like the kind of movie that I would use for a particular class period, maybe in a formalist class like classical Hollywood cinema or uh, just world cinema style, uh, because I, I am thinking quite a lot about the anti-realist move at the end of the film without giving much away, Mm -hmm. spoiler-wise. And so that move, though, that happens oftentimes at the end of films that are constructed in a heavily realist sense up until that point. Uh, For the most part, the movie completely makes sense. There are the you know there are these two people they've got these competing lives and they you know there's this sort of antagonism that develops and uh, trying to figure out what's going on uh, with all of that. There's there are realistic explanations all the way through. Uh, up until there isn't. And I, I was thinking about that move because it really isn't a move out of realism as much as it is a move in a metaphor. And I was going to look at some movies that do similar kinds of things. Uh, the first is probably the most realist example, and that is Martin Scorsese's The Departed uh, with that last shot of the rat. Mm-hmm. Where it, again, moves into, again, believable, we understand it completely understandable, but it is, you know, within this sort of realist milieu uh, there. And so I think it's a good example of that. And then the other, the next movie I'd want to look at is probably Magnolia from uh, PTA, uh, in which frogs fall from the heavens to, again, help us metaphorically understand the randomness and the chanciness of life and life's encounters and their overall sort of significance and similarity. Uh, the final example I might use is uh, Michael Haneke's Amour, uh, which again has this moment of surprising anti-realism at the end, and I don't want to spoil that either because I don't think I think most people have slept on that movie. I I remember when it came out. I remember thinking I got to get around to this movie, and I still haven't. But it, it looks good. It's real good. Uh, and again, it's it's sort of this this sort of sad story about a couple living in an apartment in France. One of them dies. They go on. Things happen. Uh, again, I don't want to say too much more about that particular ending either, because like Villeneuve's Enemy, it might be a little underseen. Um, well, even more so than Villeneuve's Enemy, I think. And and But there's a way in which the overall, again, scripting and plotting of the film creates a, a hyper-realist, sort of, not hyper-realist, but extraordinarily realistic kind of sense of what's happening cinematically. And then the movie takes this strange turn. And uh, that strange turn opens the movie into 
deeper conversation and thought afterward. It's a way in which the films sort of hang with you, I think, uh, when they do that kind of thing. And so uh, that would be uh, my class period, talking about realism and anti-realism, uh, and probably using, again, some other just full-out fantasy kind of stuff, and then some Italian neorealist stuff. You know, we might look at Rome, Open City, even though I sort of uh, dogged on Rosalini for a second there. Uh, we might look at something like that. Or uh, something like uh, Melier's Voyage to the Moon as well. Uh, for other examples, of sort of anti-realist film. And maybe Little Wizard of Oz. Because I've watched that movie like five times in the last two weeks, I think. Rose likes it a lot. So. Sure. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Uncle Dad likes it a lot too. So, you know, it's a win-win. But yeah, there's some, there's some realism play going on in there for sure. For, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking about the gray Kansas and um, the not gray. Yeah, the Oz. Technicolor Oz. So, there you go. Um, dear friends, your syllabus just got much, much longer. Let's do the thing. That we do? That we do. What do we do? We get down to business. That's right. That business is analysis, and here we are doing that thing. All right, let's do this. Yellow. I think it makes it sickly. Is it? They be- were all yellow. <laughs> black and yellow. Black and yellow. A couple of options. We all live in a yellow submarine. All songs about the color yellow. Uh, yeah, I'm surprised. Huh. Um. I have nothing more to say about that. You you just you think it's next week to we'll make see it. Like, everybody sickly. That's all you got. That's all you get this week. We'll, we'll get the big obvious like stylistic choice here. What do we what do we make of the yellowness of the film? Let's so let's just start there. On there's four a lot of it. There's a lot of it. Had bought. I mean, I don't think there's anything. I mean, I, I like the idea of the kind of. What did you, how did you describe it sickly, earlier? Pestilence. Pestilence. Yeah. Oh, that's the word. That yeah, I, I like that kind of. Something's putrid. Something's not. Something's wrong here. Yeah, something's rotten yeah. in the state of Denmark. Um, Quebec. Yes, I think it's Toronto. Uh, might be. I think so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that that yellow. I mean, it's just so much, but it's very unsettling, and it's very you know the the images of thinking about just like rooms that are usually poorly lit. They're not usually in great locations. It's kind of negative imagery that's just associated with that kind of yellow imagery and lighting. Um, I like pestilence. That's a good word. Is the pestilence fascism or authoritarianism? Yeah, this is a a trend or a a theme that creeps up several times throughout the movie, right? I'm thinking about the opening epigraph. Yeah, chaos is order yet undefined. Is that right? right? right. Which is a pull from the book that this is actually based on, I Mm -hmm. think. Um, but there's, you know, there's the lecture that Adam, yes, yeah. that the Adam Jake Gyllenhaal keeps giving, right? That is yeah. about the the different ways that authoritarian regimes operate throughout history and how they they keep being cyclical. They keep having permutations of of themselves, bread and circuses, bread kind and circuses, of. limiting education and and limiting culture. These these sorts of ideas. Um, I don't know. Maybe I, I think it's definitely. Uh, masculinity at some level, right? Whether it's that the masculine urge to, uh, well, I don't want to describe it as a masculine urge, but like uh, the, the sort of 
inherent masculinity in authoritarian uh, politics, right, or sort of more authoritarian um, modes of government that, governance that we've seen throughout history. This this holding up of the masculine, and, and this is also dealing with uh you know sort of masculine intimacy right and that's that's which is a that's a denis pull directly i think but i i think uh as much as we want to play with the death of the author i think it's a pretty accurate (laughs) accurate assessment i hard to argue with that being a a strong theme in this film right whether it's the politics of it or the the more interpersonal um infidelities and and those sorts of things and how that that ties into these sort of uh, masculine ideas. Well, and I I think it's interesting that um, Villeneuve makes this connection between not just like the way you break a society and and make a society do, you know, third right kind of things, Mm -hmm. but that that authoritarianism actually breaks us individually psychologically. Mm -hmm. That what Adam suffers from is a symptom of his culture. Um, not just that he's a bad person or whatever, um, although gotcha. that's also true. But I, it, it does seem that he is symptomatic of this is yeah. this is what this will do. This this kind of um, authoritarian sort of behavior and again distractifying uh, a culture by doing that kind of work, um, you will create these broken psyches, which I think the movie suggests is the case for Adam Anthony. Um, all right, well, I want to move on then. I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I'm thinking about just moving through this movie piece by piece, act by There's act. There's a lot to get through, though. I, I, I do want to drop this bomb on on the conversation real quick, yep. uh, just so we can have this context laid out. Uh, this is the 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 quote I mentioned about from Denis from the the Montreal Gazette or whatever publication it was. This this is him on the movie. Um, uh, it's the it's the story of a man who leaves his mistress to go back to his pregnant wife from his subconscious from the point of view of the subconscious, which I think is, I, yeah, it kind of very neatly ties the movie up in a bow for you if you want to just take mm-hmm. that. But I think I think it's useful if, if you want to, like, really get into what is actually happening in this movie. That, that's a, a one very, very useful answer. Um, but I, I, I think this one is... I, I like I really like this quote at, uh, from from Denis, and it, it speaks to what you were just talking about, Dustin. Uh, Sometimes you have compulsions that you can't control coming from the subconscious. These are the dictator; uh, they are the dictator inside ourselves. These sort of uh, these 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 urges that come from the subconscious. The, autori- the authoritarian id. Yeah, yeah. I mean, which I think is a fun idea. But anyway, I just wanted to sort of get that context on the table for us to play with as we try to work our way through this movie. Okay, so we open with this title card that gives us the little. The, the the quote there, mm-hmm. and then we move to the sex club, the club, where the, uh, the, the first appearance of naked the ladies in high heels are stomping on spiders. Um, well, they're not just doing that, but yeah, there's well, yeah. There's, there's a number of things going on. There's a lot going on. The sex, yeah. sex club things are happening, but I I think most. But important. our attention is drawn to the yeah for our purposes stomping of the tarantula, yeah, which the is like the thing. climactic moment of the sequence. Yeah, of that. Uh, yeah. And I mean, is this poor choice of words, but <laughs> uh, maybe exactly right choice <laughs> or of words, proper choice of words. I, well, I think so. Um, but it, that's the circus, right? This is mm-hmm, this is okay. a, a mind completely blown on just further, further, and, and greater need of stimulation, right? And these guys that are watching are dead faced. They're wrapped. Yeah, they're yeah. hypnotized. They're hypnotized, but they, they they seem to be absolutely fascinated to it, but they they're not reacting in any way. Yeah. I I don't see lustful leers. I don't see um I I I I see full intention full attention being given, but I yeah. don't really see interest. 
Um, I don't know. This is the thing that's so interesting about the spider, right? Because the spider appears twice more. Uh, once just sort of walking over the city as this this looming presence, uh, an image that's used to great effect on one of the posters for yeah. this movie. Uh, and then the other time, uh, one of the posters, of course, being the spider over the cityscape in Jake Gyllenhaal's mind. Great yeah. stuff. Good job, poster. Uh, the last time being um, when Adam wakes up with Anthony's wife, uh, whose name I did not write down because I'm a, a terrible, terrible person. You are. I am. Well, there's one more instance right before that, right? Oh, wait. Did I miss one? There's Go. a sequence in a hallway where he gets passed by a spider head lady. Oh, I missed that one, I think. Ooh. Yeah, so he's walking down a hall, and he gets passed by uh, presumably one of these workers from the sex club mm-hmm. um, who's got a head of a spider mm. uh, and passes him there. So that's the third instance. Gotcha. So Before then the, we get to the, the final, final sequence. Yeah, is is uh, he, he goes to... Uh, speak to Anthony's wife and she's a spider. Yes. And the movie is, is concluded. And he goes, oh, okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that reaction there in a yeah. minute. But I just, yeah, I thought, I thought it was useful to like, what, what are we doing with the spider? Let's, let's talk about that. It is of course, Helen, by the way. Mm. That's why you're yes. not writing it down. Uh, is, is uh, the character's name. But yeah, it's Helen uh, being the girlfriend, Helen being the wife, the wife, Anthony. Anthony's wife, Anthony's not wife. Adam's girlfriend. Adam's girlfriend. Mary is Adam's girlfriend. Mary is Adam's dies girlfriend. in a car crash. Oof. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe just metaphorically. Yeah. And that is sort of the well, Anthony dies in a car accident. Subconsciously. Subconsciously. Metaphorically, maybe. Who's real? <laughs> well, who what, cares? What, what's a real? <laughs> that, that, to me, that, that is the fun of this movie is, you know, I, I said earlier, like, this is a movie that picks on you. It does want you to have your own answers and play, play in its play box, a little yeah. bit, sandbox a little bit. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun watching this uh, not too far away from uh, Yoshi Kurosawa's Cure, mm-hmm. where uh, similarly uncertainties are are aligned. <laughs> right. Okay, so we move from that to Adam teaching. Yes. And we were inter- introduced to our authoritarian theme, mm-hmm. and um, he meets his girlfriend. Their relationship seems to be strange. Cold Very and distant. distant. Cold yeah. and distant. And Mostly physical. Utilitarianly physical, yes. Yes. I think that would be but a... But no, no warm. It seems it, to be a chore that occurs. Right. This is just a thing that we're doing right now. Yeah. Um, and... So that goes on. He gets bored, and again, more circuses. Watches a movie when that was with, recommended to him by a coworker. By a co, yeah. In the most annoying fashion, just starts talking to him in the break room, which is the worst thing you can do to a person as an introvert. It's a terrible thing to do to an introverted person. Yeah, yeah. Do it to them in their office. They prefer that. Well, <laughs> at least it's more expected. I went yeah. to the break room <laughs> on a break. Yeah. Uh, but who does he see in this little motion picture? Uh, he sees himself. That's Anthony right. Michael Hall. <laughs> <laughs> in a bellhop suit. As a bellhop. Uh, hmm? No, go ahead. As a dog. As a bellhop. I said as a bellhop. Uh, I, I heard, I don't know what I heard. Uh, so, yeah, that, that, so that's the introduction to the idea of the doppelganger. Yeah. Right. And, of course, we know Hitchcock's advice when it comes to doppelgangers, which is, kill if them? you meet him, kill him. Right. Um, Two Into the Wave is a great Hitchcock film that I think might have some dialogue with this. Well, this is why I brought up the movie Coherence, right? Because there's there's a moment where um, Nicholas Brendan, is that his name? The guy from yeah. Buffy? Yeah. yeah. He has this moment where he's like, well, I know if I'm here talking about it, then my double's over there talking about it. He might be drinking. I'm not drinking, but he might be drinking. So I got to go kill my double because if he's drinking, he definitely is going to try to come and kill me, which is, uh, yeah, is the the problem with the idea of the double, right? 
it's it's also the the wow the dark forest problem it's, it's from the three body problem uh the do you know that i know Chinese of science that, fiction series? i know of that book but i have not read one it. of the ideas presented in this book is basically the same thing but for civilizations right if you find another civilization you have to destroy them because they're going to come destroy you uh, at the galactic scale, anyway. It's one of the ideas presented in that novel. Join uh, the Space Force. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> as, as it pertains to doubles, that's what Hitchcock says, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's fun. If you meet your double, you should kill him before he kills you. Hey, that checks out. No, oh. Noted. Yeah. Noted. Du- duly noted. So, well, because uh, that's what Anthony almost immediately tries to do, is he like he gets very hostile with Adam, who who starts the relationship between the two of them, and Anthony almost immediately assumes there's ill intent so he he acts with ill intent mm-hmm. it's pretty pretty right away honestly yeah but i mean he, for the most part he's trying to figure out who he is and you know yeah. wants to meet like how is this even possible stalks him a bit stalks his wife his, a little bit finds out his stage name finds his agency looks at his mail pretends uh, to be him pretends to be him uh, Quite easily gets hit up by the janitor to go back to the sex club because they've changed the locks and sent out new keys, possibly. Yeah, yeah, he just pretty pretty seamlessly inserts himself into this dude's life because nobody asks any questions. Yeah, they hadn't seen him in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's again, we're just sort of like working through what happens uh, in the movie because I, I I do think this is going to be valuable uh, in doing that. So this escalates though further when. Anthony, the actor, the actor mm-hmm. decides that he stalks in re- in retaliation. Yes, and uh, finds a girlfriend attractive. Well, because he's we know we learn from uh, Helen that Anthony's been unfaithful. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, we learn before in a scene between the two of them. So of course, Anthony automatically assumes that uh, his wife has been unfaithful to him with Adam. That Adam has yeah snuck in and, and been a been a nasty little boy, mm-hmm. uh, pretending to be him. What, yes, basically. exactly. Yeah. So Anthony says, "I'm going I'm no to do cuck, that to you. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to cuck you before you do it to me." Yeah, <laughs> is exactly what happens. Uh, as as you say, it's it's the the return stocking that leads to this like oh I'm gonna take your place on a romantic weekend bye and Adam just sort of lets him do it goes with it yeah and just sort of goes well I guess I'll take his place mm-hmm. in his life right um, in the middle of all this is the encounter with Isabella Rosalini uh, who is Adam's mother their mother uh, a they, mother their mother is an interesting uh, interpretation and probably an accurate one or though at least a valid well, one uh, there's a line that she says about him stop wait- being a third bit actor yeah a great actor and yeah. like and the blueberries yeah she mentions the blueberries yeah. too i believe which, which seems to imply to me because th- there's other parts of the conversation that seems like he does have a, a career in academia like that's a real career that's a real job that's a real life mm-hmm. do that be that guy mm-hmm. right and let that all be and the other side of it is like, yeah, you're trying to do this sort of other, you know, find this other career, other life or whatever, but you're never going to make it. So just quit trying. You know, this is, you're wasting your time. It, it seems to be the motherly advice given here. Of course, rearing the head of mother and we've already been pretty Freudian already. And I don't know that Oedipus plays a particular role in this scene or in this particular shooting here, but she does have a strong authoritarian kind of. Gotcha. I get what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. But yeah, I, I don't know. If there's necessarily we're we're playing with any Oedipal themes. I don't think but so. I think I think the the sort of um, 
maternal authoritarianism is definitely maybe an idea that might be present, right? Or at the very least, uh, cold coldness in, in relationships with women. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely, there seems to be a strained relationship between mother and son in that scene. Which, again, gets us back to the scene where Anthony yeah. makes it back to Adam's wives, his wife, their wives. <sighs> this is confusing. Yeah. Well, hey, look, you're the one that said there would be utility to this, so we have to see it through to the end. Yeah. Um, makes it back there. And, you know, one of the first things that she says to him is, how's his day at school? Which, in the first initial reading of the film, I think you would go with, he. she knows he's actually not the right guy. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we have failed to mention that Adam briefly meets Helen as as Adam, as himself at the school, at, at the school. as a college professor. Mm-hmm. He meets Helen, um, and then yeah, as when he then he acts like he, well, he doesn't know yeah. her. Yeah, acts like he doesn't hasn't been stalking her already. Yeah, um, right. He he already has been. Well, stalking. she stalked him. That's he's right. called her. That's right. Now she's trying to figure out what's going on because he sounds just like that's right, that's Anthony. Right. right. Yeah. Whew. So they pieces. meet at the school, yeah, and she and she, uh, and starts that. She, yeah, she goes there. But you're right that at, there is a moment where she's like, "How was school?" Which of, and there's a couple of other moments, and the the performance from from uh, Helen is really great. Yeah, as far as like letting you know that she definitely knows that it's not her husband. Yeah, this, mm-hmm. is, this is a different guy that has is taken up residence in her house. Yeah, well, he's also kind to her, which. Her husband is not is not in any any scene yeah. they have together. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So while this is all going on, Anthony is having a weekend with Mary, uh, Adam's girlfriend, and Mary also realizes that uh, some tomfoolery is afoot and is understandably pretty pissed when she finds out he has a wedding ring tan. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. So they drive home, have a car accident, and die, or don't die, or don't die. If this if this uh, romantic weekend never happened. Uh, and then uh, they wake up in the morning, um, Anthony now and Helen. A- Adam and Helen. Adam and Helen. <sighs> the we're college all, professor. We're almost, we're almost there. The college professor wakes the college up professor with the actor's wife. With the actor's wife. <laughs> there we go. Um, going about their lives. Um, he has the key. He finds a sex club sex club key in the mail that yep. he's been he's been holding he's on to. Yeah. Um, he tells his wife that he has things to do this evening. And the she's cycle a begins. The cycle begins. She is a big spider. Right. She's a big spider. Are women spiders? She got in the shower and rinsed off her human skin, and she was a 12-foot-tall arachnid. Yeah. He just kind of bunches up in the corner. Yeah. To which he goes, okay. I think that's exactly his reaction. We have now gotten through the, quote, plot of Enemy. And I, Good I th- luck. Yeah. Listener. Yeah. Well, you know. Go watch the movie. If you hadn't watched the movie, I guess it's useful to you first to talk about that, because it is operating at a not literal level most of the time for sure and i i guess the the read i've got and i this lines up with villeneuve's quote here is that but here's the the weird weird way in which it interpinges because it seems like the real life of the character is the college professor that's the real job right i mean not 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 that acting's not a real job but that's gig economy kind of stuff he's moonlighting as an actor yeah moonlighting as an actor which gives license and opens up the opportunity for the double life Right. Yeah. Sure. That 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 seems to be, and we're going to construct this in a, in a, in the uh, in the sense of there is only one Jake Gyllenhaal. Yes. In this movie, which, are you going to get into the Shazam and the Fabula? Is that what you're going to do here? Uh, well, I mean, we could, yeah. So, yeah, I I'll mean, let you do it. Okay, so Shazette and Fabula, a little bit of Russian formalism. Hit me. So Russian formalism. There is. Uh, okay, let me make sure I get this right. Um, 
Shazette, yes, Shazette is the plot, the sequence of events, the scenes, individual shots of the film. That is just how the movie's made and put together. That's what we just walked through. That's the was Shazette. the Shazette. Okay. The fabula is the imaginary story that's constructed in your mind. So, for instance, gotcha. uh, a good example of this, and I always use this with students when we talk about the first Iron Man movie. Mm. The first Iron Man movie doesn't open in the beginning, but your remembrance of the movie opens up in the beginning where... Um, Robert Downey Jr. is in Las Vegas just doing his thing, partying hardy until he gets hit by the IED and ends up in the cave. But the movie actually opens up like just moments before the IED goes off. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. And it, it opens bro- up in the convoy. Yep. And the fabula in your head is yeah. slightly different. It's like, okay, this is yeah. like a big thing that's going to happen. We're going to watch how we get here now. Gotcha. And so we just sort of start the movie over in our minds, just sort of already knowing part of where this thing is going to end up going. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Yep. And so... That's the difference between Shazette and Fabulous. Shazette's the actual sequencing of the events or stories or bits of narration in the film. And the Fabula, which is fabulous, is what you can construct in your mind. And so what I'm trying to do now is a little bit of Russian formalist work here. Okay. Uh, and so we've, we've constructed the Shazette. And now we're going to come back and think about the fabula that results mm-hmm. from this. Right. And here is where it does sort of weirdly interpinge uh, upon itself is that the nice guy is the guy having the affair. The mean guy is the guy at home. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which has, you know, a history of cheating. There's, there's all of this sort of stuff going at work, but there... I, I think what it does is it helps us to see that those double lives always do sort of intermingle. Yes. It, it was is the fabula that it constructs in my head, is that you can't really fully separate those Two lives. separate Two lives. Identities. And so what, what the film does to help us do that is put character traits on, you know, the family man at home, and then put the family man characteristics in the um, uh, nefarious cheater type. Does it make yeah. sense? Yes. And so we've got those things working against each other, but also working for each other. And that what uh, it seems to be, again, constructed as a fabula here is, Jake is not apologizing. He's, he's made a decision to stop doing what he's been doing, to turn over a new leaf, to um, detonate, to, uh, to crash, car crash, his double life, mm-hmm. but there's not been any reconciliation at all. Yeah. And so that decision, though, is accepted by and I think uh, embraced, quite literally, mm-hmm. um, by his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, though it is embraced, as soon as he gets that key, he has not changed any of the behaviors of pattern of thought. And the, again, the authoritarian nature of his subconscious continues to work at him. And he's going to, if, if he doesn't do something different, He's going to keep living with a spider. Is well, and then this brings the question: What is the spider? Right? Is it men? Is it women? Is it? An I think idea? it's feminine rage, right? Uh, for me, I thought it was lust, right? Okay, it's yeah, this, lust. This yeah. idea of the wandering eye or this the web, the web, the yeah. web. Well, and there's oh, there's a great a great shot of the like the cable car uh, webbing or whatever yeah. you call it. The, but the net or the cables for the cable car in, yeah. in Toronto, yeah, they get used kind of shoot it like a web at one point, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, it's this this thing, this as you said, this pattern of behavior that has been fallen into that is just keeps doing it, keeps doing yeah. it. Whether whether it's a double or not, I, I kind of like the idea that they are two different discrete people. Uh, I kind of mm-hmm. just because I think it's fun to think about. 
that as soon as you well, take... that's another possible fabula, and I think we yeah. can. Yeah, and see if you've got that one. I, I, I mean, not, got... I don't have it concretely. I just like the idea that as soon as he steps into this other dude's life, he immediately like starts becoming this this guy, whether or not he was a good person or not before. Once he has the ability to go to a secret sex club, he absolutely wants to. <laughs> Yeah, I just think I think it's interesting. And oh, as soon as he can pretend to be somebody else, he he does it. He, mm-hmm. he chooses to put on this other person's life and play husband and play house. But it's he also wants to play the double life that this guy was playing. Right. And of course, you know the double life chosen is that of an actor. Yeah. Which is about <laughs> pretending Probably. to be other people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Cause, cause if if we uh, decide that this is a singular person, one Adam who yes. is a teacher, moonlighting as an actor. Um, who exists with at least three different Thanks. identities yeah. uh, within the film. His name, Anthony's name, and Anthony's stage name that he uses in the films. Yeah. Which is not the same as Anthony. It's Daniel or something, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah, I don't remember. It's weird. Mm-hmm. But I think to Dalton's point, I think there is enough here that exists, both concretely and abstractly, that you could read it as they are two separate individuals. Mm-hmm. I think you could legitimately have that reading of the film that... It is as literal as it plays out on screen. Mm-hmm. It's as abstract as you want. It is all a metaphor. Yeah. I think that's kind of the well, that, strength no, I mean, of it. Perhaps yeah. um, college professor Gyllenhaal, which is... Adam. Adam. Um, may have thought this is the perfect life to, sw- to sort of swoop into. Yeah. And then found out, oh, there's... there's problems here. There's problems here, too. Just like there's, and, there's and, anybody's and, and, and the spider is that, oh, okay, well... Okay, we can... It's we all can, the same. We yeah. can do this, yeah. yeah. Just a cycle. It's a this web. Is, yeah, this is better than the other, I guess, maybe, but we'll figure it out. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's Shazette and Fabula. I did my Russian formalism. Good job. But what other thematic things can we do? Well, we could talk a little bit more about the the place of like a lecture in a movie, right? Mm-hmm. What is because th- this is a pretty common trope in film, whether it, whatever level of schooling is going on, whether it's you know elementary all the way through to the university level having a classroom setting and watching a teacher go about their business of teaching is almost always telling us about a theme that's going on in the movie. indirect exposition yeah. type of a thing exactly yeah, yeah right and so we get a couple of interesting other than the brent circuses shit we've already talked about we get a little uh will the 20th century uh repeat itself in the 21st century talk we get a little uh hegel and marx talk mm-hmm. uh and again that, that sort of does bring us back into what are the larger societal issues that this this interpersonal rot speaks to right this this these internal dictators of the id um what what does this mean for society if people are driven by their the the worser the worse angels of their nature as opposed to the the better angels angels of their nature it's kind of interesting stuff uh there's a fun part uh where um uh, to the the uh, specific hegel and marx quotes plural that are used uh, Hegel says history repeats itself, and Marx says when it does, uh, the first time it's tragedy, the, the second, second time, time it's farce. farce. Yeah. yeah. So those those are some of the the sort of big softballs that get thrown during those those uh, lecture scenes. Which is interesting. I mean, this is a 2014, 15? 2013. 2013 film. I mean, it does happen, right? We had Mussolini, which is the tragedy, right? Yeah. We have Trump, which is the farce. Yeah. I mean, that's that that's the reading, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, even though it's anticipatory of uh, things that have yet to occur. Yeah. But that is the idea of the rise of kind of fascist kind of thought there, yeah. you know. And uh, so, but here we go again. What is, I'm thinking about the life of Adam, Anthony. Um, 
if they are one person, is the first act the tragedy? Is the second act with the spider lady the farce that we don't see? The the, the off-screen post-film credits? Yeah, is, is the tragedy that there was a mistress that he got killed and the farce is the wife that he is stringing along mm-hmm. uh, w- with a baby on the way? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's it's sort of an interesting question that's presented. I don't know how much the film does with it, but I know it, it, it wants that to be in the air, right? It wants that yeah. to be a plate spinning, a, a, one of the many plates that are spinning. Um, but uh, I'm not sure how much is done with it uh, outside of what we've already talked about, right? Yeah. Sort of this this drawing a through line between authoritarian regimes and, and sort of interpersonal uh, deception, or, or um, well, not interpersonal, but um, I guess intra-personal, mm-hmm. you, you, a person deceiving themselves. Um, which I think is, is interesting, right? This idea that Adam has a, a secret dictator living within him, and it's Anthony. Mm-hmm. And Anthony is the one actually calling the shots, if you want to go with the their one dude reading. Mm-hmm. What are you looking at me for? I, that's, that's, that's what I got for you. That, that's that what we got. Um, Does this thing have anything to say about relationships? Interpersonal, like we haven't really talked. I mean, yeah. it's kind of the core here. Are men destined to have repetitive cycles of being garbage? Is marriage a, a trap? Matrimony commitment a trap? Well, I, you know, does it, I mean, go, does it really... well, well, like the once a cheater, always a cheater kind of thing. Yeah. You know, and I, I think the film actually does speak to that because there's a way in which um, Gyllenhaal never ever cops to his bad behavior. He simply just goes back as though nothing has happened. And he just I, keeps making messes for other people to clean up. Right. And I and I, I think without, you know, true proper reconciliation, without true and proper amends making, that's that's the, really the problem um, yeah. that seems to be, you know, if, if we we're going to look at this kind of a, like a couple's therapy, therapeutic kind of, yeah. you know, reading of the film, um, it, I, that seems to be the uh, the button it's pushing is that his failure there is what's going to result in living in a house full of spiders. He's in this sort of unhappy in marriage, unfulfilled in lust cycle that seems like maybe he's just he's seeking fulfillment, but he can't find it mm-hmm. outside of his personal identity. I, th- I think the... And chasing this, I mean, chasing the dream as actor is not working out for mm-hmm. him. Obviously, the higher education is not doing it for him. The sex club's not doing it for yeah. him. The affair is not the doing it for him. closest thing to doing it for him, and even that's not maybe doing it the way it was. Um, and it's also got people bothering him about when the next one's going to be. It's inviting problems yeah. in his life, uh, which I, th- I think is interesting, right? If we, if we look at the spider as not women or f- feminine rage, but necessarily, but uh, uh, masculine desire, um, th- there is this projection going on, right? Uh, Adam Anthony, uh, Anthony Adam is projecting his, uh, not necessarily insecurity, but um, his... Mm, shame his, his he's projecting his shame onto his wife onto the spider woman that he crosses in the hallway uh the the lust is not his problem it is the women around him doing it to him right which is sort of a, a classic gross thing that uh is is peddled by by some mm-hmm. uh, it's a, not an uncommon uh un, uh un yeah uncommon idea in culture i think we stumble across it a lot that uh masculine lust is driven by the action of women uh which is Pretty fucking dumb, but we have to engage with it as an idea to... Yeah, we don't need any help. No, absolutely not. We're <laughs> terrible monsters. Yeah. And that—that that is what I think, at the end of the day, I, that, that is a little bit of what is going on here, is men are vile and they like 
will help each other before they'll help the people that are actually closest to them. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which we do get a little bit of here, right? Whether if, if Adam and Anthony are separate people, they kind of discreetly decide to do a, a partner swap without mm-hmm. informing their partners. Right. Uh, if, and that is just sort of this idea that they're going to, you know, cover for each other instead of doing what's probably the, the right thing to do. Right. Well, the, I mean, if they are two separate people, the strangers on a train thing here mm-hmm. is that um, clearly one half of the foursome are dead now. Yeah. And so you just have to assume a life and let him be me and I have to give Pull up. Pull a full Don Draper. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah absolutely. Just to completely just begin a whole brand spanking new life. Yeah. And uh, which is, I guess self-funded or like family money or whatever because it does seem to be that that life if he is not a professor um is he's obviously not making that money acting yeah that is sort of a question that is never answered is how is anthony making his money if his career as an actor is not working out and yeah you know, this is of course what brings us into the realm of like well this is not a literal story this yeah. is mm-hmm. a metaphorical story yeah. um but yeah i, I think as, as far as operating like what does it say about relationships i think I think we've we've hit some good points mm-hmm. about what what it's playing with. Um, I definitely like the idea that um, Helen is, as we've talked about, like uh, so immediately clocks what's going on. Just like is is so perceptive because, as you said, Arthur, like Anthony has shown like very little affection to her throughout, mm-hmm. and no, pretty much nothing but coldness. Mm-hmm. And that's what we get from Adam and his his girlfriend uh, Mary as similar a similar state of coldness. Um, so so it is interesting that. She she is so willing to be like, all right, well, fuck Anthony. Like I I, yeah. I will I'm t- I will tolerate this ruse because this person is treating me like a human being. Yeah, uh, which I think is a, just an interesting as far as a commentary on heterosexual relationships as far as like what t- behavior women will tolerate from men mm-hmm. uh, because their options for a man who isn't a giant spider are pretty limited. Right. Uh, that's for me. Again, for me, I think the giant spider is is men and their desire or at least their desire. And it's again about being projected onto the women around them. I think the film allows for that reading, but it does seem like she's the one that becomes a spider. That is literally what happens. Yeah. yeah so yeah, the femininity of that I think is is has got to uh, be the dominant reading. But but it is a uh, a beautiful high heel stepping on a spider at the opening of the it movie. It is indeed as we that. Loop yeah. Back around. Right. Right. If we yeah, if we get all more Mobius strip with it. Yeah. Morbius strip. That's a. <laughs> Don't you got to go see Doctor Michael Morbius? Don't put it off. Don't. <laughs> you got to make it. your appointment with the doctor. Don't do it. <laughs> Alrighty, well, if that's it for our thoughts, let's go ahead and render a verdict then. Or file a malpractice form against that movie. <laughs> well, what are we going to do for Enemy? Uh, uh, what do you say, Arthur? Shelf or trash? Um, I think it is a very fascinating watch, but I think I'm going to just very, very tenderly set it on the trash pile, is where I'm going to wind up with this one, I think. All right, what do you say, Dalton? Yeah, I'm kind of with Arthur. I. I as I said, it might have been where this movie hit me. Although Arthur is, you know, has two watches under his belt now and says uh, it's, he's kind of grown a little cold on Enemy. So I don't know. I don't know if repeat viewings would increase my estimation. As it stands, I think it is an interesting little puzzle box of a movie that asks you to, you know, again, be open to a non-linear, non-literal experience uh, and try to play around. So I think it's valuable. I, I think it is valuable cinema. 
I, I think it is definitely the weirdest English language movie Denise made. Uh, and I think for that, it's super valuable. But yeah, it's it's a very light shelf sh- or, uh, trashing, very gentle. It's, you know, it's on canopy right now. And that's uh, libraries is where this belongs. As we, we, we kind of talk about that sometimes on the show, is that being a place for certain movies. And I think, you know, 10 years out from its release, I think that's where Enemy belongs is on, on, on a streaming service you get access to a library card. That's that's probably where it lives. And that's, you know, it was on Netflix for a million years too, which mm-hmm. that's, you know, it'll come and go from streaming services indefinitely, I'm sure. And I think that's a good place for it. It's best discovered uh, in, in, you know, um, what is, hey, what's Enemy? Oh, you know, I never saw this one. Going to blow the doors off your brain a little bit. And I, th- I think that's useful. But yeah, it's not essential viewing for me. What about you, Dustin? Well, we just described a nonlinear abstract film with a general realist thriller kind of plot structure involving a doppelganger in a Hitchcockian kind of mode. What do you... Th- yeah, put it in my veins right now. Yeah, this yeah. is your, this I don't is your know. shit. I, 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 he, that really could have went either way. We've talked at, at large about him. Yeah, he could, he could have been like, and, and I and I hate that it's ripping off yep. Hitchcock. We don't need it. It's I not. still think it goes in the trash. Nobody yeah. needs to see this. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's unpredictable. I, did I, you shelf uh, Ninth Configuration last week? Did I? Which has been a I month ago now. I did. I think he was the one. I think he was I the think one. I think of the one of the ones, yeah. Yeah, I watched both. Because I, I preferred both? it to The Exorcist 3. Yeah, and I preferred Exorcist 3. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. yeah. Um, just curious for context. One of these days, Arthur, we will figure out whether or not Dustin's going to shelf dig something. Dig through over 450 episodes to try to figure out the algorithm. The, the pattern of my brain. I'm certainly not going to do that. I listened to us talk about Mad Max Fury Road about seven years ago and cringe inducing. God, how did you guys tolerate that guy? <laughs> I'll tell you what. You, Caleb? No, me. <laughs> no, me. <laughs> I, I know who you yeah, meant. I, I do. That's what you. I uh, know you're playing along. Hope you're listening, Masters. No, uh. I, I don't think Caleb will listen to this one. Be funny if he did, though. Uh, but yeah, no. It, two two things that prove that you you become a different person as you age. Denisville News Enemy and ten years of podcasting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Both things that will prove you turn into a different person. Correct. Correct, correct. Well, there you go, dear listener. That is our conversation on Enemy. You can be part of the conversation. Dalton, tell them how. Oh, damn it, I was really hoping you were going to throw it to Arthur. Well, <laughs> if you want to be part of the conversation, you can find us on Twitter, at Good Trash Media. You definitely don't need to do that if you're not already on Twitter. But if you are, we're at Good Trash Media. We put post links to the show there. If we find a particularly good review, we might do that, um, which I should be doing. A lot of good reviews lately for things like Atlanta season three and everything everywhere all at once. Been reading some great writing lately and just not sharing any of it on our, our Twitter handles. Quit hoarding the reviews. I know. I've got to share them with the world, Arthur. Quit hoarding. I'll do a better job. It's at Good Trash Media where you can find uh, our show, shows we like or people we've worked with in the past, all kinds of fun stuff like that. If you want to send us long form feedback, it's at Good Trash Genrecast at gmail.com. Uh, last but certainly not least, if you want to help support us, it's patreon.com forward slash gtm that's how we keep the lights on uh and there's all kinds of fun bonus stuff over there we're not recording any new bonus content but there's a ton of it over there including a never concluded tabletop uh podcast uh just sort of got a couple of tight arcs and you know what and And funsies yeah and we went out on on a cliffhanger and had a good time with that uh but you know you can also uh, get dvds from arthur how does he do that, you ask? I'll tell you how. Magic. He's a magic. That's exactly it. He's a magician. He's a wizard. He's a one-man algorithm. He's, He's a sorcerer. I consult the uh, runes, and they tell me. They tell me things. Yeah. 
so there you have it. Uh, you can sign up to be on the mailing list where you will get a Arthur curated pick, unless it's you know something like Brigsby Bear and Arthur just decides everybody that is a patron needs to have seen Brigsby Bear. Yes, hundred percent. Uh, so anyway, that's patreon.com forward slash GTM if you want to know more about that. That's how you become part of the conversation, Arthur. It's kind of now time where we. Uh, it's come the time for the show. <laughs> what? <laughs> he's, 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 now uh, he's it's time to down. say goodbye. Uh, uh, yeah, I got to put a little bit of family. oil in the gears. It's the time for that part in the show where we rope Dustin into another episode, and you tell us what we're going to be watching. Yes. Uh, well, next week we've been talking about it for a while. Dalton's been chopping up a bit to finally watch <laughs> this film. Um, it's, uh, it's going to be a, a fun one. I think it's got a, a fun cinema score of F, uh, which is always a good time. Woo, woo. Uh, it, love it's, an F cinema uh, score. going to be, uh, from an Academy Award winning director, uh, two time nominee, um, for, uh, for last year's The Power of the Dog. Next week, we sit down with Jane Campion, Meg Ryan, and checks notes, 2000. And three's heartthrob of the year, uh, Mark Ruffalo. He didn't have to check his notes for that one. To watch in the cut. I'll tell you what, we're going to get some power of the dong in this one. <laughs> I'm aware. So you keep watching and we'll keep talking and we'll see you all next time. I'm not afraid.